You're listening to episode 203 of the Room to Grow podcast. I'm Emily Goff, a podcasting coach, lifestyle entrepreneur, and a Canadian with a sense of curiosity and adventure, always asking more questions and using stories to connect with and positively impact others. Here on the Room to Grow podcast, we're going deep into big topics like relationships, mental health, business, confidence, lifestyle, personal development, and entrepreneurship, and being open, honest, and real about how to learn from tough lessons along the way when life throws you into the unexpected. I bring you thoughts and guests with stories that will change the way you look at the world and yourself so that we can learn from each other and grow with lots of self-love and compassion every step of the way. There's always more room to grow. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey there, welcome back to the Room to Grow podcast. And today I have such a special guest. My friend Karen Headley is joining us today. And this is a really intense talk, you guys. I'm I'm honestly blown away at Kieran's um, vulnerability and his willingness to share something so personal. Not only his personal story, but in terms of some of the things that he has dealt with and overcome as well. And it's incredibly, incredibly powerful. So I met Kieran back in Bali. This is actually our second time recording <laughs> because we, we recorded it uh, together in Bali in person, which is always a treat. And afterwards, we both just felt as though it had been rushed and that we didn't really get to the, the meat of what we wanted to get into on the episode. So Kieran is now uh, back in New Zealand presently because of the whole situation that we're in. I am in Canada currently because of the whole situation we're in. So we recorded remotely this time and it was so worth it. It was absolutely fantastic. And I also had the absolute pleasure of being on Kieran's podcast, The Pocket Coach as well. Um, so I dropped that episode as uh, my of, of me being interviewed on his podcast as a bonus on here on the Room to Grow podcast as well. So you can check that out, dropping them both the same day. And it's all about my more personal story uh, with the infidelity in my last relationship, all of that. Um, it was my favorite interview that I have ever done. So I, I'm just, I'm absolutely thrilled to be able to bring Kieran to you today because he's an absolute wealth of information. He's an, a total sweetheart and he just has so many incredible things to share that so many of us can learn and benefit from. So Kieran is an anxiety coach, a meditation guide, and a waterfall adventurer from New Zealand. I can vouch for that. I've gone on a waterfall adventure with him in Bali, and it was fantastic. Um, and through loneliness and never feeling good enough, Kieran was really unsure about the journey of acquiring sort of this idea of freedom within. But he now lives that freedom, and he's going to talk to us more about that today. And he now teaches others and coaches others on how to do that for themselves as well. So today, Kieran and I are getting into redefining masculinity. Uh, sitting with the really uncomfortable feelings that might be coming up for you in quarantine and dealing with them rather than ignoring them or continuing to stuff them down as well. Uh, however, the one thing is, is that when you're alone, what's within you is often how you'll show up with other people too. And Kieran really has a beautiful explanation for that and how the way we view the world is a reflection of what's happening internally for us as well. Uh, he's talking to us about exploring the insecurities that come with the societal definition of masculinity. And then he's also getting into his entire experience with pornography addiction. He's talking to us about the sense of control that can come with accessing pornography rather than having the actual human interaction and the impossible standards that pornography can set as well, along with the communication issues and the lack of connection when we're dependent on porn for pleasure in place of the human interaction or relationship. And I think that it's so important that Kieran is talking about this because this is an incredibly taboo topic that most people will not go anywhere near. 
They don't want to discuss it. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to deal with it. Certainly not on a public platform. So I need to give Kieran so much credit for just showing up as a really incredible human and, and just, he has an absolute heart of gold, um, but also for being so willing to have these types of conversations because it's through conversations like this that change can be invoked and that people can start to maybe recognize things in themselves that they want to do differently and, and to uh, look for the tools to start to change some things within themselves. And Kieran is just an amazing example of that. So I don't want to hold this up. Let's dive in with Kieran. And I'm just so honored to be able to bring him to you and that uh, you can also check out the bonus episode of Kieran interviewing me here on the Room to Grow podcast or over at the Pocket Coach podcast as well. Hey there, welcome back to the Room to Grow podcast. And I'm so pumped that I have my friend Kieran here. Kieran, thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> thank you for having me. Yeah, well, this is me too. And I'm excited. I'm sad that, so we did actually in, in the manner of full transparency, you and I recorded uh, two podcast episodes in person in Bali. Um, one was you interviewing me. The other one was me interviewing you. And the one that I did with you, I think you and I both just felt unsatisfied with it. We're like, mm -hmm. no, we have like, like we need to dig deeper. There's more that we want to cover. <laughs> Not so much more. And like we said, it was just too rushed. Like, yeah. Yeah. We were like trying to cram it all in and in, in a week and we're like, no, I think you and I are both very dedicated to our craft and we're not willing to not put out something that isn't up to either of our standards. And, and I just adore you. And I know that you have so much to offer and I wanted people to get the absolute best of you. So I'm just <laughs> grateful that you're taking the time. And now instead of face to face in Bali, we're New Zealand to Canada, but it's fine. Yeah, <laughs> Tower totally. of technology. Exactly. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of you you've had like a kind of a really interesting path to get to where you are especially for how how young you are as well I feel like you've done a huge amount in like a few short years so give us a, a little bit of a, a little bit of the Coles notes about who you are and, and what you do <laughs> of course so to say what I do and who I am I needed to speak a little bit about yeah like you said how I got here um, just in a nutshell, I struggled severely with depression growing up, uh, lots of loneliness, lots of conflict within myself in terms of always feeling like the outcast, always feeling like I was the extra person in the friend group, not the actual part of the friend group, always feeling like, oh, my friends get girlfriends. Why can't I speak to even a girl? Like I can't even speak to a girl, let alone get a girlfriend. Um, like I even developed a stutter at one point. So uh, there was a, then a, a slouch, I manifested a slouch hiding away from the world and a stutter. So if I was talking, especially to a girl, it would be, be like, hey, what, what's, what's going on? Like, <laughs> yeah, it would be like that. Um, I, I, on and off, there would be points where I'd be super confident, it'd be fine, and it would fall back in. But yeah, it, it, was, it was crazy to think that that used to be me. That used to be me in this uh, psychological world where I just, I just couldn't escape what was in my mind could not escape. I could not be in touch with the reality that was going on around me. I could only be in touch with what was in my mind. Uh, and I'd have all these stories that I made up and this led to thoughts of not wanting to be here. Um, I was never properly suicidal. I was never um, actually in the place where um, I did not fear death. I feared death more than me wanting to leave. So that was definitely not an option for me, um, luckily. And there was a turning point. Um, I started seeing therapists. I, I started going to therapy 
Uh, and that gave me the opportunity to start speaking about it more and understanding it more, which was amazing. That was an amazing platform. It didn't heal me, but it gave me an opportunity to progress. And I think that's very important. It should be talked about more. Uh, that's absolutely okay to go to therapy at any point, any time. Um, and it's definitely a beautiful experience if you uh, take the right approach. Uh, from there, I became quite passionate about mental health because A, my own suffering, B, I've got it a lot in my family. Um, and now it's talked about within my family, which is amazing. It never used to be. Uh, and C, my friend just a few years ago took his life because of anxiety. So this got me really passionate about the topic of mental health and anxiety and just how taboo it seemed. Uh, how people just wouldn't speak about it, yet it would just be so present. It would be so noticeable because I'd been struggling my whole life with this. Um, I'd been putting a massive smile on my face every time I felt like absolute shit. I'd been putting a laugh on and forcing a laugh every time I felt like um, hiding away from the world. Uh, it was just to cover up everything that was going on internally. Um, and I started to notice that it's almost like the people that smile the most are probably the people many times the people that struggle the most. Um, and that's what I started to see a lot. Like I saw friends at work, at university, you can see the big smile and then you get into a deep talk with them and find out they're really suffering. Um, so that was really interesting. Um, that was almost like they're hiding amongst the happy people. Finally, uh, just to sort of wrap up the little story of kids, I, uh, I had, had um, interesting experiences sort of running away from problems that I had in New Zealand. And I uh, went overseas chasing my dreams. <laughs> went to um, California and Quebec, um, good old Canada, mother in Canada. And uh, I was chasing the fitness dream of being a, a fitness superstar on YouTube and stuff. And this sort of led me into understanding that this wasn't my true passion. It was more of a secondary passion, my main primary passion was really mental health and that's where I started to explore the coaching scene and that and um, have successfully dived into that as a full-time thing it's such a beautiful space to be in so currently I'm an anxiety coach and I am a meditation teacher as well um, I wouldn't say teacher I'd say guide more of a guide I don't, I don't know meditation teacher sounds doesn't sound right for me so meditation guide um, is a bit of, is a better way to put it and um, I've been practicing that for the last um, 10 to 12 months over in Bali and New Zealand so yeah that's a little about me amazing thank you so much for sharing because that's well, that's a pretty heavy story that you have kind of undergone and gone through and and I also really like that you brought up the point about um, that sometimes the people that smile the most are the ones who are hiding the most pain I, mm. I tend to think of uh, people like Robin Williams who yeah. were always so talented at making people laugh. That was their, their entire life was making people laugh. And sometimes I, I've met people like that in, in real life as well, where you peel back that initial layer and there can just be like, that's a cover for so much pain. Um, it, it certainly isn't always the case. There are people who, who just really are that joyful, of course, but sometimes it can be uh, a mask that, that people wear. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really interesting to, to think about that and to sort of take note of that as well. Um, we have a lot to talk about today. So we're going to kind of tie in um, anxiety. We're going to tie in a little bit more of your personal story. And we, you and I were talking beforehand about, you know, we feel like we can't not talk about the elephant in the room <laughs> because since the last yeah. time you and I uh, saw each other in person, a global pandemic has erupted <laughs> and oh, yes and now that's kind of how you and i have both ended up grounded in our home countries uh, which wasn't necessarily the the plan 
Um, okay. But very grateful to to be here. Um, to be here well, in Canada. And I know, yeah, and I know you feel the same way about about New Zealand as well. But part of that that I think you and I want to talk about is not only the kind of trauma around this whole global pandemic, but also some of the moral and ethical issues that I have often struggled with and, and you and I have sort of discussed before about um, Westerners living in Bali. And yeah, yeah there's, there's a lot of layers to that. So wherever you kind of want to like dive in the most, I, I'm really excited to open up this Pandora's box because I think there's a lot to unpack here. <laughs> totally. Totally. Um, so almost like we, uh, we sort of brought it up before the call, but um, there's almost like uh, there's various groups of people that are um, or various groups of experiences, I should say, that are really arising in this pandemic, because, of course, many people, most people in the world are quarantined now in their own homes, in their own spaces. Uh, and many issues are arising. Some of them are um, like literal issues, like they don't even know if they can put food on the table tomorrow. Um, but then some of them are just as literal, but just not as noticeable, uh, which is the mental issues of this feeling of being claustrophobic, this feeling of being lonely, this feeling of being rejected, this feeling of having to face so much shit. Um, excuse the French. Um, <laughs> that you say whatever you want. <laughs> okay, okay, cool. I normally try not to say those. Um, <laughs> And it brings up so much shit um, that's been buried down through the busyness of this business orientated, fast paced world that we live in. Because it's so easy to um, just get on with the day and just keep moving forward. Um, and then, by keep, because I keep moving forward, I'm leaving something under the rug or I'm leaving something suppressed and I'm using whatever I'm focusing on in front of me as the distraction, as the vice. Um, and a lot of people think that it's because they've gotten over it, but then they sit still in this crisis for three, four weeks, however long they're going to be quarantined for. And it comes back up and they're like, oh, this, oh, I don't remember having this problem because it's, yeah, because it's been suppressed for so long. But in the quiet, that's where the noise that is still there arises. So, yeah, that's definitely a really noticeable uh, thing that's really come up for sure, for a lot of people. And I'm noticing a lot of people messaging me about that. So, yeah. 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 And I, I think that that's a, a big part of it is that we're used to, to the busyness and we're also used to then just when we do have moments of stillness to busy ourselves with other things. So we, we numb, we, we pull out our phones, we scroll Instagram, we scroll Facebook and, and we've all been guilty of this, by the way. And, and you and I have more to talk about this and like later in the conversation too. Yeah, totally. You know, we put on Netflix, whatever it is. And we rarely ever sit in silence because for some people, mm. I think that silence and stillness has become almost painful because there's, yeah. there's so many layers there that we don't even want to address that then when we're presented with it, it's, it's too much for us. It, it's overwhelming. And mm. if this is going to go on longer than we think it's going to, which I suspect that it will. Um, yeah, yeah we, we're kind of going to be, facing i think a lot of people are going to be facing a lot of demons that they maybe either didn't know that they had at all or that they've been burying for so long that they're going to come up and, and we're going to be like wait what where the hell is that coming from what is happening yeah. <laughs> like, like i'm missing my ex like girlfriend or boyfriend like since when <laughs> i've or, seen all like, these uh, memes coming up about like yeah. don't text your ex <laughs> yeah, <laughs> literally so funny literally um i i this quote this one quote that i heard from um it's my favorite guru from india his name's Sadhguru, and he says 
if you're lonely and you're, um, and sorry, if you're alone and you feel lonely, it means you're in bad company. Oh, that is good. That is so good. And that's the thing because like, I feel I, I, maybe it's partly because I'm an only child, but, but I don't think that's only it because there can be only children who still have a lot of like demons just like anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. But I I am very comfortable in my own company. I can spend Mm -hmm. probably too much time alone if I allow myself to do so. Bali's been really good for that because Bali has like brought my social life back and I'm like, Oh, I love being around people. <laughs> oh, massively, yeah. and it's a beautiful thing. But it's very easy to utilize this um, sense of socializing, of being an extrovert. I put that in quotes because I don't like using those terms too much because it sort of like diversifies people. It's like mm-hmm. you're in this block, you're in this block, but I don't believe them. Um, and um, it's very easy to use this experience of being around people and being around friends to cover up something that's deep down because I get to, you know, stay busy and stay laughing with people and not think about this, you know? Um, whereas as soon as silence happens, those things are there, they're right in your face. Um, but it's important to understand that however I am when I'm on my own is actually how I'm going to be with other people because whatever is within me is how I express myself, right? Because at the end of the day, I can only give what I have. So if within myself is, uh, is insecurity, then I'm going to be grasping onto things outside of me looking for security if what's within myself is um, feelings of uh, lack of compassion within myself, then I'm probably not going to be as truly, truly compassionate, deeply compassionate with those around me because I'm going to be constantly looking for that compassion from others. So because I might lack something within myself, I might seek that through others, but the moment the others aren't there, it's the moment that I have to face that. So I think almost um, it can be, a beautiful thing even though it's a scary thing even though it's a painful thing it is a beautiful thing at the end of the day because it really gives people an opportunity to step in front of these things and be like yo let's go <laughs> um but at the same time i think it's also important to note that even if you're coming through this and you don't feel like you're making progress even if you don't feel like you're going to step above these things even if you don't feel like you're um you're really working through some of these things that's okay too um it's important to understand that just simple awareness and simple opportunity to confront something, even if it doesn't mean you're coming out stronger, your ability to step in front of it does actually make you stronger. Um, and deep down, um, your ability to just simply face it in some shape or form. It's like the more you fly on a plane with turbulence, right, the um, easier it is to eventually ease your way into just stepping on the plane, sitting in the seat, and then just facing that fear um over time because it's a timely thing it's something that you can eventually get used to uh the same way that it happens within uh the internal fears the internal struggles the internal um mental noise whatever that might be is the more opportunity you give yourself to actually look at it uh, that's progress on its own so applaud yourself i think it's important to you know, really congratulate yourself for giving yourself that opportunity to really face it mm. So many good reminders in there. Like, I, I hope that everyone almost backtracks and, and listens to that again about, you know, the validation and, and whatever you're having come up with in yourself and having that almost reflected back. I think that that's really, really powerful realizations that all of us are hopefully going to figure out sooner rather than later so that we can come out on this, on the other side of this, better humans than what we went into it as. Oh, totally. And really, yeah. like, work through some of that. Yeah. Totally, totally. Yeah. Um, and I think it's important that, um, however I take myself out into the day, 
is um, that's going to be an understanding of how I'm going to uh, also be a scope for the world. So I'm going to be only taking in what's around me based off what's within me because that's all I have the capability of. Um, so I, I'm going to, this is more for other people because I know that you understand this part, but um, if I was to say, where do you see me? Right? Where do you see me? Like right now. physically? Yeah. Uh, against a wall in New Zealand? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like on your screen, right? On your screen. You yeah, it's on my screen. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. So where you really see me, right, is the light's reflecting off the screen. It's going into your retina and sending signals to your brain, right? So it's all happening within you, right? Mm -hmm. And then if I ask you, where are you hearing me? In my earbuds? In my mind? Right, there you go. Yeah, in your, in your <laughs> ears, like the, the sound waves are going through through the microphones in the, um, in the air, and it's um, going to the eardrums and then sending signals to your brain saying, this is all we hear. Mm -hmm. um, and now if um, I was to somehow reach my hand through the screen <laughs> and touch it looks you like you're hand. about to <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. look we're almost high-fiving <laughs> yeah, we're almost touching uh, um, and then I said um, and I touched you on your hand and I said um, do you feel um, do you feel me right? you might say yes but really you feel the senses on your skin saying that oh I feel this sensation on my hand right so yes, if, I, if you close your eyes and I touch you on the top of your hand, right? Um, you could think it's a spider, you could think it's anything, right? You don't actually know what it is, but you can make an assumption of what it is. But essentially all that's being sent to your brain from that sensation is, oh, I feel something on my hand. It's this sort of sensation, it's this sort of texture. So that's all happening within you, right? All of that's happening within you, all the light that's coming into um, through your sight, all the sound that's coming through your ears, it's all happening within you. Have you ever experienced anything outside of you? Are you asking me or are you asking yeah. like more, yeah, yeah, yeah. more yeah. metaphorically? Yeah, just in general. I mean, there could be arguments made for both sides. Yeah, like, totally. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, I, my instinct is to say yes, but I also understand the argument that people could say that no, everything is actually happening internally. Yeah, totally. I mean, at the end of the day, um, even though I am looking at things that are outside of me it's my sensory organ of my sight that's picking that up and my sight is inside of me the signals that happen and, and transfer that information to my brain it's all happening within myself um, the sensory organ of my um, of my hearing right the my ears that sensory organ itself is picking up the sounds that are around me but it's sending the information to my brain that's within me so all of that experience um, all that information is uh, converted within me, right? So even though the, there's information outside of me, I'm picking it up and sending it inward. So essentially, whatever that filter is within myself is the way I'm going to perceive that. So, for example, if I was to look at a tree and I was in a state of pain, right, I might just see the tree and not think anything of it. But if I'm a state in a state of lovingness within myself, I might look at that tree and be like, oh, "It's such a beautiful tree." <laughs> 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 or if I'm, um, you know, a state of depression, like. I might look at the tree and be like, oh, that's an ugly tree, or like whatever it might be, or frustration, right? So I'm always going to look at things through the filter of how I am within myself. So I think it's important that um, this is a really good reminder for people uh, during this time that uh, notice that how you start to see the world around you is actually how you're feeling within yourself. Um, it's a beautiful reflection because that gives you empowerment, not disempowerment, empowerment knowing that, oh, if that's the case, then what if I shift what's within me, then what's around me will become a lot different. 
and well, possibly more spectacular. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. I love it. And I, I mean, in terms of the pandemic as well, I think that um, part of what you and I kind of wanted to touch on as well is that we're in, you and I are very fortunate to be in developed countries um, mm. that have, you know, healthcare and governments who are doing their best to protect us. I mean, I suppose some people would argue that, but I think that they're doing a pretty good job. Uh, and I love your prime minister, by the way, she's amazing. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, she's spectacular. I'm not going to lie. She is yeah, absolutely awesome. spectacular. That woman, I want to be, I want to be here when I grow up. She's awesome. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that one of the, it, it's been such a, a dichotomy for after having lived in Bali for months and months to see how things happen there in comparison to how things go down, especially in this time of crisis in developed mm. countries. And I have always had moral and ethical issues with living in Bali as a Westerner because we have changed and altered the Balinese culture. We mm. have um, taken over. We have placed our own expectations on Bali in terms of what we want it to be as opposed to accepting it for what it is. Mm -hmm. And we also then get to just pick up and leave whenever we want. And we do that with everything in life. Yes. Well, that's true too. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. But there's never been such a glaringly obvious example as Mm -hmm. this particular crisis that we're in is everyone has fled Bali. And I just happened, like you happened to be out of the country anyway, and you were going to be going back sooner, which is no longer the case. I happened to be leaving the country at the same time Mm -hmm. as well. It, again, for you and I in particular, it just happened to work out, but you and I both know many, many people in Bali who fled the country, which I, I would have as well if I had been in in that position. But that Mm -hmm. again, raises this moral and ethical issue of why is it okay that we can be there when it's convenient for us. Mm. And then since they're a less developed nation, they are, we, we already know that the projected numbers, they, a country like Indonesia is going to be hit so much harder than mm. a country like New Zealand or Canada. Well, and is it fair? Like yeah. it, it, there's nothing fair about it, but mm. it just presents these really difficult questions. So yeah. I'd love to get your thoughts on on some of that and how how you kind of feel about all of that. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, there's the ideal situation, which is um, we're able to um, find a sense of security and safety, and knowing that oh, like I mean, even though this virus is deadly, yes, um, being like being in the age that we are, um, in the health that we are, we would be okay, even if um, it was to pass through us. Um, so there's that part, but there's also the unknown factor of while it's still killing people, it's still possible to die as a healthy human, um, if you did get this fire. So that is quite scary. And then that fear, I feel like, um, I think that I I think there will be people that would feel guilt and would feel shame for leaving the country. And, um, I really want to identify that those people are the people that, um, probably have, um, I've obviously put a lot more thought into it. Um, and, uh, those people, I think, um, uh, like you've done well to actually bring that to mind because I think it's very easy for people to not even think about it or give it a, give it a second thought. Um, so I think that there's obviously a lot, it's, it's obviously very fear based and fear has overrun the sense of ethic 
um, ethical um, embodiment, whatever that might be for that person. Um, so it's simply the fear was stronger than the ethics and um, like to that person and that's okay. Um, although it is frustrating, um, it is unfortunately that just the reality of the situation. The reality is that a lot of people have left and the reality is that a lot of people are starving. Um, today, tomorrow, the day after, um, people are gonna starve to death. Um, and it's just the truth of it, unfortunately. Um, I wish, like, obviously, we could do a lot more about it as individuals, um, but the most we can, um, we can hope for is that um, they really do work through this. And it's just gonna be interesting to see what the world's like in those third world countries after the situation um, passes. So. Um, I'd say that's all I've really got to say about it because, I mean, as much as I would love to have some sort of influence on it, um, yeah, it's um, it's just a matter of the situation. I think it's more of an awareness issue than anything else. Like, just just being conscious about it. And and by the way, I don't mean to imply that that anyone who left Bali should have guilt because, like I said, like I, I would have done the same thing. It's just mm -hmm. that I, I would have left the country as well anyway. But... Mm -hmm. um, it it just presents this whole dichotomy about you know just there there's such there's such disparity between the way the westerners live in bali and the way the locals live in bali and yeah it's very heartbreaking sometimes on, on a good day like aside from any crisis and now the crisis that we are undergoing has just made it even more obvious to the point where it's it's hard to watch because then as all the Westerners have left, all the money has left with them, they really yeah. depend on that tourism. And now they're hurting yeah, Something more. like three quarters of their income in Indonesia yeah. is from tourism. Yeah. Yeah. So that's hitting them so hard. And they already don't have the same kind of infrastructure that we're so fortunate to have in these other more developed countries. So right. it's, yeah, I almost just wanted to bring it up as an awareness factor because yeah. I think that it's something that a lot of people, I, I certainly don't have the answers um, by any <laughs> means, but I think that it's something to be aware of, especially as, you know, we're, we're globetrotting humans. Yeah. We have the immense privilege to be able to do so. And I think it's just really important to still always be aware about what's happening on a more local level. Totally. And once something is a lot more in your experience in terms of like, um, that's a reality, like, oh shit, that's actually a reality that's actually happening right now. It's a lot easier to put that into perspective of, wow, I'm, I'm blessed. I really am. I'm really lucky. Um, and that's something that, um, I'm not a big fan of like adopting perspectives um, because it can be quite hard to adopt a perspective when um, I myself am struggling a lot internally. But at the same time, I think it is still important to raise that awareness because it does give people an opportunity to start seeing a lot more clearly about what's going on. Um, so yeah, I think it's beautiful. Yeah. For bringing it up. Yeah. Well, thank you for, for being open to discussing it a little bit. Um, yeah. We want to, you and I talked beforehand and I am so grateful that, not only you're sharing your story with us and all of that, but that you are so open about your struggles with uh, addiction to pornography. And yeah. I think that it's really powerful, Kieran, that you're bringing this to light because I think that there are a lot of people who are struggling with this who will not discuss it because there's so mm. much shame attached to that. Like totally. it, it just this immense, immense shame and people don't want to discuss it. People are pushing it under the rug. And I've had uh, women in particular reach out to me, um, not to say that th this can be a male or female issue that doesn't have anything to do mm. with that. I've just oh. happened to have had some women reach out to me mm. saying that they've struggled with their male partners 
having issues with pornography addiction. Mm. And then when you had kind of mentioned it to me in passing, I was like, we need to talk about this. <laughs> so I would love to hear a little bit more about your experience with that and what you kind of underwent uh, when you were going through it, how you came out of it. Uh, if you would be open to sharing that, I would be so grateful. Absolutely. And I think it's an amazing topic to talk about in a time of crisis like this, because that's when vices become very loud. Oh, yes. That's <laughs> a great point. Yeah. Yeah. Very wanted. <laughs> Those numbing um, techniques. Like, yeah. Now that I don't have the vice of, you know, um, uh, going out on the weekends or um, of going partying or going socializing or getting a beer or, um, you know, doing this other stuff that's outside of the house. Um, now there's um, only so many vices I can access. Obviously, there's Instagram, Facebook, social media, um, and other things as well. But then there's also um, a lot of people use self pleasure as a vice in terms of how to escape boredom, um, how to escape, uh, you know, their own thoughts or their own um, their own struggles within themselves. Um, a great way to do that is through self pleasure and. Um, as a guy, there's a lot of focus normally on the, um, I'm just going to use the terminology, but, um, cause I don't know, it doesn't bother me, but it might shock people, but of like coming, like guys are just so, uh, focused on the end result a lot of the time. Um, and that's just for a guy that's natural, it's nothing to be shameful of, but, um, it's, I think important to bring to attention that if a guy can learn to come away from just that focus at the end that both the experience for the guy is going to be so much more beautiful when they can focus on the process and the enjoyment through that process um, with a beautiful focus on that. Um, but it's also going to be very, um, a lot more enjoyable for the, um, for the partner as well. Um, who's also experiencing that because there's going to be a lot more presence. And I'm sure as you and I both know, it's a much more beautiful experience when both people are much more present and not just, you know, maybe a drunkenness <laughs> We've all, like many of us have it, or not just like going for the end um, goal, whatever that is for them. Uh, so uh, with pornography, because there's, um, there's such a focus on the, um, for a lot of it anyway, there is a big focus on sort of the guy's side of things and um, really pleasing the, um, you know, the, the guy in that sense. Um, it's like this quick access to a sense of, pleasure this feeling of being alpha this feeling of being um empowered in some shape or form because at the end of the day like everything there is in, in your control there's nothing that can that's out of your control literally it's on a phone screen um you're on your own you can do your thing um but it's that feeling of like this is in my control another person isn't in my control so this is a lot easier to access so as a guy um there's really a lot of toxic masculinity that goes on in the world in terms of how guys need to be and because a lot of guys don't feel that they are that um that it's a lot that there's this feeling of insecurity within therefore it's easy to turn to something and because i feel demasculated um demasculine i don't know the word um because i feel like my masculinity is not where it should be i want to find other areas of life somewhere where i can have control over that and I can step into that feeling of being alpha, being masculine in whatever sense. Um, so that's what definitely was a big experience for me. It was out of this sense of needing advice and it was out of the sense of not feeling masculine um, in terms of like I wasn't in the space where I was, I was having that connection uh, with a woman in, in that sort of um, spectacular way. So I was turning to something else where I would sort of get what I want out of that. 
um, and that was pornography at the time. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting topic to get into because there's so many avenues for a guy. Um, and it's, of course I can imagine it's, um, it's interesting to hear both the girls and the guy side of this because both sides are affected. Um, now as a guy, um, I've been in relationships where I've still watched porn. Um, and in the past when this was a thing, um, it was like, um, there was this, um, poor, uh, how would I say it? There was this poor communication around sex. There was this poor communication around sex. And because of this poor communication around sex, both sides weren't fulfilled and weren't, weren't um, the, the environment wasn't created for um, meaningful sex where uh, those needs on both ends were met. Therefore, it was so much easier for me to turn to porn. And that's what I did. Um, so that, that would happen during a relationship as well. Um, but it would happen a lot out of a relationship when I feel lonely or when I felt within a relationship that my needs weren't met, I would turn to porn as well. So that, that was sort of an interesting vice to, um, yeah, to really look back at and be like, wow, I really used that a lot. Um, and there was many times when I'd feel guilt, feel shame about it. Um, and I'd beat myself up about it a lot. So every time I'd, um, finish watching porn, I would feel guilt and shame and I'd beat myself up. And then this would be this massive cycle of feeling less about myself. Then again, craving that feeling of empowerment. So going back to it <laughs> and, um, or feeling less about myself, feeling crap and then needing that vice to cover it up. So yeah, it was, it's this interesting cycle. And I think by talking about it and understanding that, no, it's important not to feel shameful of it um, because I'm so open about it. I've spoken to many, many of my mates about it. And seriously, I even know a lot of guys, guy, guy mates of mine that um, are, do watch it in their relationships. And um, it's something that I do bring up discussion with just to just in a, like a loving matter and a loving manner. But um, yeah, shining light on that and understanding that um, it does create harm, but at the same time, um, understand that that's not the source of the harm. The source of the harm is what's, leading to men being impulsive about going to this um, porn and going to this sense of needing that pleasure. What is that? Um, that's where the root is. And it's important to look at that because that's where you'll be able to address the issue rather than looking at porn itself and trying to not watch it. Now, if you address the root of what's leading to that impulsive need, then that will fix itself. So I think that's what's important to shine light on. Mm. You made so many incredible points there, and I have so many questions. Um, yeah, first of all, just to acknowledge the fact that, that you and I currently are speaking in, in fairly heteronormative terms, but this can <laughs> obviously apply in like any type of, of relationship. Like Anyone can get sucked into pornography addiction. It's not necessarily yeah. like a heterosexual thing. Um, totally. I mean, pornography in general, I think, presents very unrealistic standards for both yeah. males and females <laughs> like well, physically yeah, totally. and, and otherwise the the detachment i mean again i could also bring up the ethical issue here that um a lot of pornography is made kind of down the avenue of sex trafficking women as well like mm -hmm. that's another whole separate issue but in general i think that it presents this really difficult standard that that's impossible to live up to and mm -hmm. then both sides end up confused about what what the actual real life relationship will look like and then like you said communication goes out the window and then yeah. we're fucked <laughs> then yeah, nothing totally. ever comes of it because 
both sides end up feeling so unsatisfied and as though they aren't living up to like as an individual or as a couple or the or thinking that about the other person even that mm. nothing is living up to this fantasy that's playing out in their heads and that's really dangerous because it it blocks us from having true connection and intimacy with our partners as well totally totally um i can definitely give a little bit of advice actually for guys listening to how to actually work around that and how to improve their connection during Please. sex um i definitely noticed that there'll be times when um i my desire for sex would actually decrease and my desire for porn would increase so i'd almost like want porn more than sex and because sex was not as meaningful that was the real issue rather than and also because of the porn i was like it happened how i want it's like i get to you know i'm in control um whereas in sex i wasn't um and i still felt insecure in those moments so because there was a lack of communication around that that was a big issue so it's something that is definitely um a discussion that needs to be had if um, there is to be an understanding of um, how to address either sides of needs equally. Um, but at the same time, um, if the guy doesn't give an opportunity, and this is this can be definitely on the girl as well, 100%, but I think, um, but obviously I'm a guy, so I can speak as a guy. Um, but if that focus on the connection during sex rather than the end goal of and I've talked to a lot of girls about this and I hear a lot of girls falling into the trap of actually being really focused on just trying to make the guy come um, and then be feeling really bad if he doesn't or feeling really bad if you know there's an issue there. And, Total guilt, um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, um, and hearing that, I was like, wow, um, this is something that is such an issue because that also from the female side leads to a, a lack of potential connection because there's no, no longer a focus on the moment. Now there's a focus on what I'm trying to create. Um, and obviously vice versa. That's a big thing for the guys as well as the guys. So focus on getting that pleasure at the end that, um, because it's like, that's got to happen, you know, um, that there's such a loss in connection with what's going on now. Um, because if I've got a hundred percent of energy to focus my energy on something, right. I mean, if I'm really focused on what I'm doing in my work or whatever, you know, hundred percent focus, but if I'm, if I'm focused on, you know, 50% on my work and 50% on, you know, what my wife's doing, what my kids are doing, I don't have kids, <laughs> what <laughs> my friends are doing. I'm only 50% focused on my work because 50% of my, my brain is focusing on something else, right? So same thing in sex. If I'm 50% focused on that end goal, even if I'm just, even if I'm really focused on that person, um, there's still a subconscious focus on the end goal. Therefore, there's a lack of connection that I can have in that moment. So it's important to, yeah, if someone can take away that subconscious focus of the end goal, then the connection in sex is going to absolutely tenfold. Um, it's such a beautiful experience. And what I did for six weeks, and this isn't what I suggest most guys to do, just do it for a little while, but I did it for six weeks and I didn't ejaculate for six weeks. I even had, um, I even had sex in those moments. And um, yeah, I, but I did not ejaculate. And uh, that was an interesting, interesting discussion for sure with the person I was um, intimate with. But um, what it did for me is it took away the opportunity for me to have that end goal. Now the end goal was irrelevant. So all I had was that moment. That's all I had. There was no subconscious focus on what was going to happen. It was just that. And that gave me such an opportunity to really engage during that moment. And man, that changed everything for me in terms of my experience. So I would highly suggest for any guy listening, um, the next, you know, two, three times that 
you engage intimately. Understand that's not your last time you're going to do that, okay? There's, there's going to be more times, okay? You get another opportunity to, you know, reach that end goal. So give yourself an opportunity to really engage with that connection, um, whether it's having a discussion with her, especially let her know, because otherwise she'll probably feel bad, but because um, that's unfortunately what's going on now. Um, but give yourself an opportunity to really take away the end goal completely don't ejaculate and just give yourself an opportunity to just engage with that moment completely and see what that's like for you. Because I guarantee you're going to learn not just a lot of the connection that sex can bring, but also you're going to learn so much about yourself, so much about yourself. Yeah. So. Yeah. And a lot of, thank you for sharing that. And, and a lot of what you're saying too, totally applies to um, women as well in terms of, you know, again, like the unrealistic standards, uh, I mentioned this on, on a podcast episode I did a couple of weeks ago with um, my friend Steph about women who, I mean, I don't know a single woman who has never faked an orgasm. I don't know a single yeah. woman because things like pornography have set a certain yeah. standard where, you know, women come like that and you're like, what? <laughs> That's yeah. just not how it always works, yeah. unfortunately. And that it, it removes the the exploration aspect of it because it's just this okay let's just like get it done and yeah. and that end goal for both parties mm -hmm. but you know often the focus is especially on the male but yeah. um in general when you take that away for both sides the enjoyment is going to increase massively massively, oh, massively. Yeah. yeah totally and then you can sort of bring it back in but that's only once the connection is established yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I think it's just a beautiful challenge because then you can really prove to yourself that no, I am in control of this. Um, I am. I'm in control of you know this machine, meaning me. Um, <laughs> and my impulses, my, my my impulses, my impulse of needing that end goal to happen, um, that can wait. Right. I'm in control, not my mind. I'm in control. Right. Now, if you can establish that control, I guarantee you're going to be feel so much more in control of your own life and so many other areas as well. So, yeah, I think that's a very big, um, very big, powerful thing to yeah, step into for especially yeah, guys, girls. Mm. Well, what triggered you to like take note of, of what you felt to be an issue with the pornography in mm. the first place and to actually yeah. start to change that for yourself? Because especially you're a young guy and for someone, I'm always blown away. There are several people in, that I have met in Bali specifically who are like, 26 and under who are the oldest souls I think I've ever met. And you are, you are one of, you are one of them. Like you have the oldest Thank soul. You. And I'm just so impressed that a guy your age in particular was able to understand what was happening and to make that shift and transition. So how did that kind of come about for you? Mm, yeah. Um, I just want to quickly touch on that old soul thing because that's an interesting point. And then I'll touch on this because they're both very interesting things and I'm excited to share that <laughs> side of things. Um, but quickly on the old soul thing, um, I just want to really elaborate on the fact that it was just more that I looked at the pain. I didn't look away from the pain. Um, most of the time, like for, for a lot of the time I was looking away from the pain, but by looking away from the pain, I don't grow. Um, I don't mature emotionally. I don't mature psychologically in terms of my relationship with my psychology and my relationship with my emotions. But I mature in those areas of my life if I do look at them. It's just that simple. Um, and I've been blessed enough to have that opportunity and that security and that support in order to do that. So um, from a young age, I mean, so it's possible for anyone at any point to mature in those areas. 
um, of courses, you know. Um, but it's um, it's very difficult to do without the support. So number one step is find that support in some shape or form, psycho psychologist, therapist, friend, um, coach, whatever, right? Um, and then start looking at that emotional and psychological trauma and pain um, because by doing that, that's where you'll grow and mature in those areas. I just wanted to say that because um, I wish I heard that a lot earlier, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> even, even I think a earlier. lot of people would benefit from hearing that earlier. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, age just doesn't always matter. I mean, I know people who are 40 who behave like children. Um, oh, and, and then there's people who are 22 oh. that I'm like, is your soul 112? Like, <laughs> oh my God. like, I remember I was at a men's circle, I met some 19 year old kid come in and he just said the most spectacular things. All the guys around were like jaw drop. Like, how, how is he saying that? Can you read that in the book? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, nah, but he's just, it was just pure. It was beautiful. Yeah. So, so it really goes to show the age can be very irrelevant in, in so many ways. And I've, I've learned that lesson in particular in the last year, especially meeting people like you and, and a couple other really close friends of mine that I've just been blown away at, at how mature they are for their age. Um, but yeah, sorry. Let's, so let's bring it back around. So tell me how that transition yeah. kind of happened for you with the, with so, the yeah, so I was noticed. Uh, so it was something that was on my mind for a while because I'd always feel guilt around it. Firstly, so it was something that I would try stop. And this is coming back to the issue that I mentioned before, which is if I just try stop the impulse without addressing where the impulse is coming from, that's a big issue because now I'm going to try find other vices, or I'm going to be feel frustrated, or I'm going to feel like a need's not met. Right. So that's not addressing the issue direct, um, like properly. So this can be a big issue in a relationship if either partner is like we need to stop this because if you say we need to stop this, then you're stopping something without giving um, attention to what's causing it. Um, and that just creates a big buildup. And where does that go? That buildup can go into the relationship and cause more issues. So it's important not to just stop it. No, talk about it and discuss it. Don't make it a problem. Make it and make it, bring it to the intention that, okay, this can be talked about. We can solve this. How can we solve this? Where's it coming from? Why is it happening? That's what needs to be looked at, not the actual thing. So that's what um, I started to notice over time because every time I'd stop, try to stop watching porn, um, same thing, frustrated. Um, this desperation, constantly thinking about it. Uh, this need of like, oh man, it'll be so good to just get it out, but I can't, I can't, I, no, I'm not watching, you know? And then I'd get into this internal battle and this frustration, frustrating um, time. Um, now, yeah, what's important is I, um, I had to start looking at where it was coming from, it was coming from boredom. Um, so when I would allow myself to be bored and the only reason why I'd allow myself to be bored is because when I was on my own in silence, I wouldn't allow myself to bring attention to my thoughts and emotions. So that's why I was bored. But the moment I did, that changed, right? Um, so there was boredom. Um, I'd noticed that was impulsive when I was bored because I wanted to just take my mind off my thoughts and emotions. Um, it was whenever I was in, in this feeling of pain or it was this feeling of disempowerment, not feeling good enough, not feeling worthy. Um, and th these feelings became the com compulsive, the impulsive. Um, triggers for me to go and watch porn so that was the first step was actually being aware of where it was coming from uh the second thing and this is what really just completely cut a cold turkey and this wouldn't normally happen um for a lot of people um i was just lucky enough that it did happen um in terms of like there, there was a big pain in my life and insecurity in my life of um I started to think, um, like literally I'd see a girl and I'd instantly think about sexual desires, um, like 
even at, at, at wacky ages, even if I wasn't even attracted to them, even if it was just wrong, and then I'd, um, and I'd imagine them in a sexual scenario without even wanting to, and like my mind would just go straight there without me wanting to, and then I'll beat myself up because I'm like, that's so wrong and sickening, and I'll be so frustrated. Um, and that was so painful for me, and I realized that a lot of that was coming from physically watching porn because that would that, that completely shifted my psychological structure what was going on in my brain the neurological patterns firing through the watching of porn and it was proven right um, many times over in science but um, yeah I really noticed that firsthand and then finally um, the pain of not feeling like completely in sex right and not feeling like um, a lot of the time I'd go soft. Um, I wouldn't be able to you know, keep that art on. Um, I know many guys share that pain, but that started to go away when I got rid of um, what, um, what was creating that, which was this feeling of disconnecting sex because I saw sex as another way through pornography. So that when sex did come, it didn't feel right and feel good. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't this, the same connection. It wasn't the same beauty because I was so focused on what, I thought it should be rather than what it actually was, um, which is so much more beautiful. But that beauty isn't seen when I'm just looking at the surface level stuff, which is through porn. Um, so that was a big pain that really triggered me to be like, oh, and I literally just stopped um, because I was, it just caused me so much pain and frustration within myself. Um, and eventually those thoughts died off. Um, those um, that, that inner battle and that inner frustration died off. Um, I started to actually have good sex. Um, yeah, a lot, a lot of things changed for me as soon as I took porn out. Um, yeah. And, um, I'd say a really big important thing is to first look at where you're beating yourself up, address that first before you address the pornography problem. Because if you go straight from beating yourself up to just cutting out porn, that frustration is just going to build more. So it's important to see, okay, you're beating yourself up about porn, make that more normal and okay for yourself to acknowledge within yourself to say, okay, this is a struggle. This is something I struggle with. And that is okay. Once that's okay within yourself, then you can start moving past it because at the moment it's not okay. There's a moment that becomes a big wall and a big block for you. So make that more okay within yourself, understanding that it's okay. Yes, it's a problem. Yes, it's causing a lot of issues, but it's okay to have the struggle. Once I acknowledge that, then it gives me the opportunity to start make, making those steps forward because the moment I'm below what I'm trying to face is the moment I feel um, overwhelmed by it. But the moment I allow myself to feel okay with it is the moment I can face it. Um, and I think that's yeah, real important to, um, to really put out there. But yeah, and then from there, you can start to slowly, just like anything, weave off it. Um, take your time, be communicative about it, um, especially with your partner if you're willing to, if you feel like you can be, um, then I'd recommend that because any good partner would um, would be understanding and, and to, as long as you're obviously like saying look this is a struggle um this is where it's coming from this is why it's happening um would you support me and i'm sure any good partner would so yeah that's what i'm saying this has just been amazing kieran like honestly I, I, your your honesty is so appreciative and i think there are going to be a lot of people who are going to really benefit from your openness around this um, because it's a tough topic. It, it's a tough topic. So I really commend you for being open and available to have these types of conversations. And yeah, here's a key thing as well, actually. It's interesting because I, 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 the moment sort of pause because like, I, I, I guarantee my parents heard, but it's so funny because I'm right there. <laughs> um, it's like, you know, it doesn't even matter anymore. It doesn't bother me anymore because it's just that um, once I've, normalized and made okay within myself something a lot more it's a lot easier to discuss outwardly 
So yeah, I just wanted to acknowledge that because that's possible for anyone. Because trust me, it used to be the most shameful thing, the most shameful thing. I could like it was sickening inside of me. So if I can go to that to this, trust me, anyone can. Yeah. That's really incredibly powerful. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Also, I think a lot of our parents uh, learn a lot about us on podcasts and hear information that uh, maybe otherwise would not have been discussed, but it's fine. (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) Okay. Well, I have one more question to wrap up with, and that's if you had one piece of advice on teaching people how to grow into the best possible version of themselves, what would it be? If my emotions are here, not over there, not, not, not somewhere else. That's where I need to put my focus. So like inside you. Yeah. 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 So if my emotions are experienced within me, if I want to learn how to be, if I want to learn how to, um, be the best version of myself inwardly so that I can be myself, be the best version of myself outwardly, I must first focus inwardly because at the end of the day, um, before I do any action, I must first have a thought before I, uh, have or go for um before i actually acknowledge any experience i first have that emotion so things start inwardly and then we will project them outwardly so if i'm always trying to fix what's outside of me i'm always going to run into a wall but if i first change what's within me and change my experience of what's outside of me changing what's outside of me is a lot easier i'll just give a quick example um if i'm if i'm in a space of insecurity within myself and i'm I'll use a relationship. Perfect example. If I'm insecure within myself and I'm constantly needing things to be a certain way in the relationship, I guarantee that that person most likely doesn't want to do those things <laughs> because yeah, otherwise it'd be happening like naturally. So now I'm here wanting things to be a certain way. They're there wanting things to be a certain way. And I guarantee those things aren't going to match perfectly. They never will. So until I address the insecurity within myself and make myself feel more secure about that, is the moment that I won't come to it, come at it with a sense of needing to control it and I'll come at it with the sense of uh, compassion for the other person, understanding that this person is simply acting out of their part of love, their version of love. Um, and that's okay. So start inward. I love it. And that's been a really beautiful theme that you've managed to, to weave in throughout this entire episode, I think. So that's a perfect way to wrap up. Thank you so much, Kieran. This has been amazing. I really appreciate it. I wish I could give you a hug in real life like we did ah! last time we did an interview, but <laughs> Zoom hugs. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Thank you so much, Kieran. I think this is just going to be amazing and I'm so appreciative. <laughs> appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. I'm so grateful you took the time and it means the absolute world to me. For any references in the episode and all show notes, be sure to jump over to roomtogrowpodcast.com. And if this episode touched your heart, it would mean so much if you would take a quick second to hit subscribe, write a review and share on social media or with someone who really needs to hear today's message. It makes such a difference to keep this podcast going so I can continue to bring you amazing content and absolutely incredible guests. Be sure to tag me on Instagram over at Emily Goff Coach so that I can thank you in real time for listening and connect with you. We're back every Tuesday and Thursday with brand new episodes and I'm looking forward to growing with you.